0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're with us today. We're going to try to answer some of your questions today, and that's what we do each week on Know Your Bible. Uh, we take viewers' questions. There's a phone number and a website on the screen. You can use anytime. Uh, to get in touch with us and let us know what you would like us to talk about. We get specific Bible questions, we get some general ones about does the Bible really teach this, and we get a lot of life questions about family and current events and things in this old world that people wonder what is the Bible principle on that. And we are happy to try to give you an answer from the Bible. So that is what we do. Let me introduce my friend Toby Lebring. He's back to help us answer questions today. Glad to have you with us Toby. Good morning Steve. And uh, ready to get some of answer, We'll do as many as we can today, but we'll we start with one for our viewing audience, so let's start with that one. How many apostles were there? And uh, you may think you know the answer, but think about it again for just a moment. It's a little bit of a trick question. We'll give you the answer at the end of the program. See if you know how many apostles there were. All right, Toby, you got one about the death penalty, and I know a lot of people wonder about that one. So. They
1: do. We get that question from time to time. Yeah. The question from this viewer is, how is the death penalty justified? Well, you see, God has set up government uh, in the insti- at the institution of government in the lives of mankind to establish order to protect the lives of the innocent and to make sure justice prevails. Now, there's no perfect government nor a perfect system because human beings are flawed. But God has instituted the authority of government to maintain order. And one of the tools that governments use and that they are authorized to use is the power of capital punishment or the death penalty. Uh, The ability, once a person has been uh, tried and convicted of crime, uh, particularly uh, a heinous, violent crime uh, against uh, uh, innocent lives, then uh, that life can be taken. Uh, by the state, and uh, the uh, authority of government has the power to do that. That was true uh, in the Old Testament, and it's also true in the New Testament. I know some people uh, may look at maybe the Ten Commandments and and think, well, doesn't it say thou shalt not kill? Well, the word there uh, translated properly is thou shall not murder, and the difference being uh, murder is the taking of an innocent life, and that's the idea uh, of the death penalty is to protect innocent life uh, by uh, uh, condemning the guilty. Uh, Let's read from Romans chapter 13 and we can see very clearly what the scriptures say on this subject. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which is established, which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good." But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Uh, the death penalty is justified because God is a just God, and he <coughs> wants justice and order uh, in the lives of our uh, of the of the world. So I hope that helps answer your question.
0: All righty. Thanks, to. Uh, I said at the start we get specific questions sometimes. This viewer's got a verse that they want explained. Uh, does 1 Corinthians 10.13 really mean things will never get so bad in our lives that we can't overcome them? All right, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 10.13 in just a moment, but let me uh, set the stage a little bit first. Uh, this verse was written to the Christians in Corinth. So, this is to Christians, is who this applies to. Uh, Not necessarily everybody in the world, now certainly God has the power to do what he wants, but he promises Christians certain things. His children have uh, certain benefits, if you want to say it that way. Uh, When we become Christians, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, strengthens us. He uh, seals us. There's a lot of things the Bible says the Spirit does for Christians. Uh, helps and strengthens us. So bear in mind this verse is written to Christians. And now let's read the verse. 1 Corinthians 10.13 uh, says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay, let's keep it up for just a second and look at three main promises in there. First, he says, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. So you may think you've got the most unusual temptation ever or burden to bear. And he says, no, it's common. Uh, Secondly, he says he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. And some translations say your ability to bear it. And the third promise is that when there is a temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it." Okay, so that's what the verse says. Now our viewer says, does that really mean what it says? Well, yes, I do believe it means what it says. Uh, God knows us. He knows what we can handle. Uh, Secondly, He controls the devil. He limits Satan. Satan's been chained. He can't do anything he wants, Uh, so God does limit him. And uh, he knows us he knows what our specific temptations are he knows what our specific uh, ability to bear things is so this verse simply says uh, god's watching he's not going to let you be tempted the more you can bear and whenever you are tempted when there's a problem there's a way to get out of it he will provide a way now sometimes we have to look around a little bit and look for that exit but uh, and sometimes we don't want to take it because it's a little costly But that promise is still true. So, yes, I realize things get very, very difficult in life. Sometimes we have problems and burdens and catastrophes just piled upon pile. Uh, But God says we can bear it. Uh, And if you look around, you'll find people that bear amazing amounts of difficulty and temptation and burdens. Sometimes I'll look at someone and say, I don't know how they handle that. Well, God's helping them is how they handle that. So it's a great promise, one of the best promises in the Bible, one of the best verses in the Bible, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, And I believe it means exactly what it says. All right, Toby. Uh, got a difficult <laughs>
1: situation and a question here. A viewer once uh, says, uh, the Bible promises we will receive whatever we pray if we pray in faith. I prayed that my husband wouldn't die, but he still died. Is my faith too small? Uh, well, uh, first of all, let me extend my condolences to a tragic situation, although I certainly don't know the circumstances surrounding it. Uh, it's certainly a difficult uh, situation and something we never hope to have to endure. It's in times like these we may wonder about the power of prayer and faith. Um, <clears throat> uh, I've heard one time, and maybe you've heard it as well, that uh Prayer, whenever we pray to God and we lift up our requests to Him, uh, He can answer that in one of three ways. Yes, no, or wait. And uh, in your case, you prayed for something and and God didn't grant it. And I think one of these things that as we pray to God, especially in these difficult situations, uh, prayer, the whole action of it is learning to trust God is learning to believe that he is in control and that no matter what happens uh, as the psalmist said in psalm 23 yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me and that is, a i'm glad to hear that you're a person of prayer and faith and you need to know that god's still with you Uh, even though we may not fully understand even though it may not be the answer that we want uh, if we trust in the Lord, He's going to work everything out. Uh, and uh, He has a much larger perspective than we do, certainly in the matter of, of sickness and illness and, and death. So I want, to, I want to encourage you to keep praying and, and maintain the relationship that you have with the Lord. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5-6 through six says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, <clears throat> And He will make your path straight, and that's what faith is all about: trusting even when you don't understand, praying even when you don't get the answers that you want, because you believe that God's answers, uh, when they're different, uh, are are of uh, understanding deeper than ours. I want to refer you back to a story in John chapter 17. I'm sorry, John chapter 11, when uh, Jesus was asked uh, to come to the. Bedside of his friend Lazarus. Let's look at John chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness will not lead to death. Does this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I, I, we know the, how that story ended. I just want to use that to remind you that just because we don't get the things that we request from God doesn't mean He doesn't still love us and care for us deeply. He just knows better than we do. So keep praying, keep walking by faith, <coughs> keep trusting in Him. He still loves you.
0: Thank you, Toby. Let me take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we advocate Bible study on this program, and we try to answer a few questions each week, and that's a little bit of Bible study, but there's a lot more in the Bible that uh, we need to know because it's God's Word demands. So on this program, we know a lot of our viewers are serious Bible students, and a lot of People have not started studying the Bible, so we've got a way to help you on that. If you'd like some free Bible study materials, we think they're a good way to get started. Lots of different ways to study the Bible, but uh, here's some good ones that we've found. Uh, it's a correspondence course, so we'll send it to you in the mail so you do it by yourself in the privacy of your own home. And you can learn a lot about the Bible by taking these lessons, and we've got other lessons beyond this introductory course. Uh, but it's a good way to start. It starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament, so you start off learning about the two big parts of your Bible. And uh, when you're done with these eight lessons, you'll know a lot more about the Bible, And uh, hopefully by then you'll be interested enough and learned enough that you'd like to keep on studying the Bible. So we've got some other courses that we can send to you then. All you have to do is get started, is uh, use that website or that phone number on the screen. Let us know that you'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you, and we think you'll enjoy it. We've been uh, offering that for all the years we've been on, and thousands of folks have gone through it. and uh, uh, We don't get many complaints. We get lots of folks that uh, tell us that's a great way to study the Bible. So give us a call. Let us get it started for you. All right, question about denominations. and Actually, this is kind of a two-part question. We'll first question is why are there so many denominations, and, and the viewer wanted to know what denomination we are, so we'll get to that one in a moment, but why are there so many denominations? Well, denominations are, it just means a name of something. Uh, we carry money in our billfold. Well, I guess people used to carry money in their billfold. Now, now everybody's got What's a piece of. now Everybody's got a piece of plastic or a chip. Uh, but anyhow, when we used to carry money, uh, they were in denominations—a one, a five, a ten, a twenty—and all that. That's just that's named that, and it sets it apart. From anything different. A five different from a ten. Well, that happens in Christianity, unfortunately. Uh, we can't just all be Christians for some reason. We denominate, I'm this kind of Christian, I'm this kind of Christian, and she's that kind of Christian. So that's what we're talking about, and that's all the word means is to set apart as different from others. Uh, couple of reasons there are so many denominations, like lots of reasons, but let me just give you the two biggest ones, I think. Uh, number one, there are doctrines that people differ on, and obviously if you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, uh, then some doctrines are wrong because they don't agree with the Bible. Uh, the Bible actually says that Satan uh, will promote false doctrines. So we could use that as the first reason, is uh, evil causes it. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.1, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and he says, In the latter days, uh, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Okay? So he says there's going to be people that set themselves apart by teaching a doctrine that's not from God. So, that's one reason there's so many different groups and set things apart. Now, the basis for that, however, Paul goes on and says in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 4, 4, chapter 4, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So, he says Satan kind of comes up with the doctrine, but they come through men that, aren't righteous, they aren't good men, they're hypocritical. Uh, So that's the second part of the answer, is all of these denominated groups had to start with somebody that separated them. Now to me the best answer for why there are so many denominations is because we're human. And humans like to be right, humans like to have their way, humans like to control things. And so when you get a group of humans together, at some point, there's a division. One guy says, I'm going to believe this. And the other one says, no, that's wrong. I'm not going to believe that. And I've got to be right. And all of a sudden, you've got two denominations. Let me show you a verse that says that, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. Uh, Paul says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The Spirit wants unity. That's what Jesus prayed for. Paul's told people to maintain the Spirit of the the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So the Spirit wants one uh, unity. Wants all Christians to be one. That's what Jesus prayed for. Galatians five seventeen says the flesh, mankind, humanity. Our desires are opposite of what the spirit wants. Uh, The spirit wants us all to be one and mankind, I want to be right. So I think that's where denominations come from. They had to start at some point and I think it's just a human problem, a human condition. God certainly doesn't want us to be divided into denominations. John 17, he prayed, I want all my followers to be one and that's how people will know that they're Christians, as if we're all one. Well, we've messed it up. We have to agree uh, that uh, the world of Christianity is split into a whole bunch of different denominations. That's confusing for somebody that's looking for God. So. It's a sad situation, but I think that's where denominations come from. So we'll do the second part of that question in just a moment. All right, Toby, what are you after here? A viewer has
1: a question about the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. They ask specifically, is the Sabbath day the day we should worship? Explain. Uh, sometimes you'll hear, hear people refer to the Sabbath and what they're referring if you listen to what they're talking about. They're talking about the worship day. And the they they uh, are referring to worshiping on Sunday but they're saying the sabbath the sabbath actually is the 7th day of the week so that would be Saturday now there are some folks who believe uh, that that worship is to be done on Saturday uh, specifically uh, they get that from the old law and the the 10 commandments remember the sabbath day and keep it holy uh, unfortunately what they forget is that there is uh, has been a change in the covenant we're not under the old law anymore uh, but there are several reasons that <clears throat> we should not uh, worship on the Sabbath and we're not called to worship on the Sabbath so let me list them off first uh, the Sabbath was for only for the Israelite people under the Mosaical law uh, Exodus chapter 31 verse 16 the scripture says the israelites are to observe the sabbath celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant it was part of their unique covenant between god and the descendants of abram and so it was part of their uh, uh, relationship that they had with him part of the law uh, that was uh, uh, their covenant with him Uh, secondly the as part of that old law uh... the sabbath was nailed to the cross uh... because jesus fulfilled he didn't abolish but he fulfilled all of the requirements of the old law if you're going to try to keep one part of the old law such as the sabbath uh, then you're bound to keep all of it animal sacrifices and the worship system and all that but uh... most people don't want to do that they just pick and choose certain parts Uh, that's not what the law was designed to do the law was god's perfect absolute expectation of perfection and the whole point of it in my estimation uh, was to lead us to the fact that we couldn't keep it all perfectly uh, we needed a savior who could so if you step back into law keeping you're you're getting on uh, difficult uh, i'm gonna say impossible tasks uh... number three when jesus uh... brought in his new covenant uh, bought with his blood uh... when he was resurrected it was on sunday the first day of the week and that was important enough that the early Christians, according to Acts chapter 20 verse seven, met together and kept meeting together on the first day of the week. They celebrated uh, the new covenant and the resurrection that came, uh, the life that came through his resurrection on that very day every Sunday in what we call the Lord's Day let's look at Colossians chapter 2 and I'm going to give you a little bit broader context from uh, the verse I mentioned earlier and we're going to look at 13 through 16 of that chapter and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, very clear that it's not a requirement of Christians to keep <laughs> or worship on the Sabbath day. So I hope those reasons will help you. and you'll You'll study your Bible more to uh, understand.: All right,
0: a second part of our question. the viewer wants to know <laughs> what denomination? are you well if you watch the credits at the end or the opening it says we're this program provided by the north side church of christ in wichita kansas uh, so we are a church of christ now if it, to, to explain it fully we'd say that's not a denominational name. We don't want to set our part, set ourselves apart as a uh, denomination, uh, but we have to call ourselves something. So we picked a di- Bible name that we are the Church of Christ, uh, and I know in a practical way. In some ways, we appear as a denomination, because we have common practices and beliefs and things. But it's not intended to be a theological separation. We just want to be the church of the New Testament, Uh, the church that belongs to Christ, is what our name means. I would caution against trusting Wikipedia too much on anything, (laughs) but uh, I did look up, since Wikipedia is such a universal source, I looked up Churches of Christ, and here's what they said, and they got this one pretty right. Uh, Churches of Christ are autonomous, that means self-governing, Christian congregations associated with one another through common beliefs and practices. They seek to base doctrine and practice on the Bible alone, in order to be the church described in the New Testament. A pretty accurate description of what the churches of Christ are. We're autonomous. That means self-governing. We've got no hierarchy. We've got no headquarters that you can write to or call. Uh, And it says we're associated with each other uh, through common beliefs and practices churches of christ in your community uh, believe that let's just study the bible and be the church of the new testament let's do what the bible says and that's all we need we don't need a creed written by man we don't need a headquarters to tell us what to do or where to send our money or anything else we'll run it ourselves and uh, the description said they base doctrine and practice on the bible alone in order to be the church of the new testament. So that's our goal, that's our dream is to just be the church of the new testament, not be a denomination. Uh each church of Christ is a autonomous self-governing, so you'll see some differences in the way they do things, what they think about methods and how to operate and all that, but the basics of the Bible, about what the church is, uh, we try, we do agree on that and uh, have fellowship in that way. So we're the technical answer is we're not a denomination. Uh, we're a group of individual congregations of Christians that believe. Let's just study the Bible and do what it says. Now, we do have other congregations that fellowship with us, and we talk about one each week. So let me talk about St. John, Kansas, this morning. Uh, this is a congregation of a church of Christ Uh, that believes we do good work here on Know Your Bible that Northside provides. Uh, So they help us. They help support us. And if you live in St. John, Kansas, we'd tell you this is a great group of Christians to go visit. Uh, Carl Farrell and Tom Turner are the ministers there, great guys, both of them. And uh, if you're looking for a church that just follows the Bible, that tries to be the New Testament church, uh, there's one there in St. John, and we'd recommend it to you. Uh, any community you're in watching us from any place in the country uh, there's probably a church of christ near you and they'd fit that description Uh, so give them a visit sometime tell them you heard about them on know your bible and that's the answer about denominations i think all right toby i think we got time for one more quick
1: a viewer wants to know about witnesses to the resurrection how many people saw jesus After the resurrection, well, some people have attempted to count that by the various Bible accounts and the Gospels and the book of Acts, and there's not a precise number, but it's well over 500, and at least a couple of dozen of those are named directly, uh, but we don't know the exact number. Let's read 1 Corinthians 15 verses three through seven for what i received i passed on to you as of first importance this is what paul writes here to the church at corinth that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas and then to the twelve after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. So Paul there says uh, well over 500, and we don't know the exact number for sure. But lots of witnesses, uh, very verifiable.
0: (laughs) That's one reason he wrote that. If you don't understand this story, go check some of the witnesses because they're still alive, they're around. (laughs) Okay, let's close out by answering our trivia question and that was how many apostles were there. And uh, most people probably guessed 12 because that's the famous answer, but there were the 12 original apostles. And then they selected Matthias to replace Judas. And then in that verse that Toby just read you, Paul said, uh, God, Jesus appeared to me, and I was abnormally born. I was born out of season. So he was the last apostle. So altogether there were 14 specific apostles uh, picked by Jesus, and uh, that's answer to the trivia for the day. We're glad you've been with us today and we're going to be back next week to answer some more of your questions. And We hope you can be back with us then if you haven't signed up for that correspondence course do that today. Uh, but we'll see you next week and answer some more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area.